Welcome to Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA. I'm your host, Christopher Locke. I'm also the IBPA Director of Membership and Member Services. So independent publishers run into many of the same challenges. So the best way to figure out how to overcome those challenges is to learn from other publishers' achievements. Table Publishing founder and CEO, Tamara Mayo, joins Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA today to discuss the best message she's learned about how to work with her authors, how to solve accounting issues, how to find funding, and much more. Welcome, Tamara. How are you? Yay. I'm doing fabulous today, Chris. How about yourself? I am amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and specifically because we're talking and uh, we had a really good chat before about all these various topics. I'm, I'm really excited to chat with you about this. Um, you know, I, in general, like uh, when it comes to, you know, like the challenges, um, I do find it interesting, uh, the idea that you and I talked about of like publishers a lot of times put up this facade of they are, everything's great. They're so successful. And yes. then it's because they're like afraid of looking like a failure or whatever it is. Um, but I love your approach. You say that when you reach out to other publishers to ask for help, like that, that's been the best approach, not acting like you're the biggest success in the world. I'm really glad that you brought that up, Chris, because this is a meme that I try to share with any and every publisher and writer that I come across. It's like this meme where um, it's like what my friends think I do and then what society thinks I do and what authors think I do. And all of it is like based around this facade of success and believing that, you know, we're raking in all this money and we're doing like really great things. And it's not to say that as independent publishers, we're not, we're going to get into that. But one of the things, myths that I, at least at table, want to peel back as a traditional publisher, we want to start forward facing to the writers and the readers and letting them know the realities of independent publishing, whether you're doing it as a traditional publisher or a hybrid publisher. We want you to understand why we are here and why we're trying to innovate the infrastructure. And I think in, in my case, and I'm really thankful that I was able to be a part of the Innovative Voices program this year. One of the publishers that I was able to network with, Thinking Geek Press, fellow winner as well, they were able to help me by sharing one of their experiences, saying, hey, we're small as well. It's your first time doing anthologies. Here's what we went through so you don't have to stumble in the same places we stumbled. And I think we have to remember that as publishers. This is not a competition. The only way we're truly going to be able to innovate and be there for the readers and writers, because again, that's who we're serving. At the end of the day, we're doing this for them. The only way we're going to be able to do that is through collaboration and cooperation and just being honest. A closed mouth doesn't get fed. So if it's a situation where, hey, we're about to go live for submissions, you mind taking a look at our submissions page, see if there's anything that we might have left out, anything we might be missing, be willing to do that. Because none of us are the big five, and they're the ones who really control the majority of the of the market share. So let's mm -hmm. let's not you know try to you know look at it like well because I need help or because I'm small, what I'm doing doesn't have impact because it completely does. It really does. Yeah. Every single one of us started because we saw the need for independent publishers. Yeah. Every well, I single one of us started. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to be clear that uh, I'm an author publisher. My chair is made out of hundred dollar bills. So <laughs> I'm not the, I'm the exception though. Are they monopoly They're You guys, they're monopoly. Uh, all right. Chris it, is telling, he's it, not telling you the full truth. It's monopoly. Make it, it till you make it though. Right. So that's, that's how I do things. Um, I do want to, uh, I want to set the stage for where you are in your publishing uh, business. So um, how how many years has uh, Table Publishing been in business? So we've been in business technically for over ten years. Okay, I want to say we're we're at the teenage stage. We're about we're hitting like the fifteen sixteen year mark. And the one thing I do want to advise any publisher when you're indie, it's not a race; it's a marathon. Mm -hmm. You have to ask yourself, what do I want to contribute to my community? What legacy do I want to leave behind and what legacy do I want my publishing company to leave behind? Mm -hmm. You have to be thinking in terms of five years down the line, 10 years down the line, 25 years down the line with regard to 
what you really want to do and why you're doing this because no one's going to listen. It's, it's not lucrative. We do this because we're passionate about it and because we want indie authors to have their voice. We want to bring that springboard to help you get to the big leagues. We're not ashamed to say that. Mm-hmm. I think um, we more so just kind of have to take a step back and just remind ourselves it's okay that we've only been doing this for 15 years and we only have this amount of books. Don't compare yourself to other publishers. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about what they have. Think about what you want your backlist to look like 10, 15 years from now, because the long-term publishers are already thinking in terms of how are we going to market and promote this backlist 10 to 15 years down the line to an entirely new generation of readers. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's going to set you apart from the publishers who are here as a fly by night, just here for a quick cash grab versus the ones who are truly passionate about this and are like, listen, I am here because I know about the no's and the rejections you authors get. Oftentimes it's not because maybe it's not because your writing is bad. Publishers just can't publish everything. It Mm -hmm. costs money to publish. That's the reality. Mm -hmm. We can't publish everything and there aren't enough publishers to publish everything. Yeah. And so the reality is, I I think independent publishers need to remember this is not a race. It is truly a marathon and build your catalog as you go. And I'm really proud that Table has been here for 15 years mastering not just print publishing, but digital publishing as well. Yeah, no, that's amazing. How, How many books a year do you generally publish? We try to do at least two a year, and that includes print and digital. Because uh-huh. you have to keep in mind when you're formatting a print book, it's completely different from how you're going to format the ebook. Mm-hmm. And people, and you have to assign two totally different ISBNs. It's double work. And so people forget that sometimes. And so when you're releasing several books and you're on a, you've got a skeleton crew of, you know, and that's what a lot of people don't know about indie publishers. Mm-hmm. Many of us are working on skeleton crews. Mm-hmm. We have three, and I'm about to lose one of them next month for maternity leave. But that doesn't stop what your mission is and what your goal is and what you're trying to accomplish for your community. So in this case, just know that a lot of them are doing what you self-published authors are doing, but they're doing it with a skeleton crew and way more work and way less money. So just remember that. Are these contractors or are these employees? Um, one of them is an employee and one of them is a contractor. And then a third one volunteered as tribute. She under, she heard the mission, the goal, the message and said, Hey, listen, I know you can't pay us, pay me right now, but in exchange, can I write articles and help build up my portfolio? Oh, sure. That's great. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, that's something I was going to ask about that can be difficult is, I mean, you've been around 15 years, but a lot of times when, you know, someone starts out, it's them, just them running yeah. everything, wearing all the hats, which is exhausting. Um, so how, what was that process for you? To, at some point, when did you go, oh, I need an employee and I actually now have enough money for an employee? How, how, was that a really tough decision or were you just so overworked that you were like, well, this isn't going to work if I don't hire someone? So I'm going to preface this by saying, I blame the Amazon gurus of the early 2000s for this Uh, uh because it was sold to a lot of authors. It's so easy to self-publish your book. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is this, 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 and you can get it done in 24 hours, less than a week. Insert your time here and give me your money and take my course. And as someone who started off, I started off originally, I was going to like, tradi- I was going to self-publish my book because I wanted to be a traditionally published author. So I went through the rigmarole of trying to find an agent, trying to basically get published traditionally. And I was not ashamed to say like, those ads got to me where I was like, oh, maybe I should take this route. The only difference was rather than taking their courses, I started to actually buy the books from the people who self-published and learned it. And one of the best books I got um, was by Dan Pointer, The Self-Publishing Manual. And I believe whether you are an indie publisher, self-published, traditional, I don't care what you are, you should absolutely have read this book and have an understanding of it if you are small. 
That being said, after reading that book, I was like, this is a lot of work for one person to do. Mm-hmm. The Amazon gurus did not have this right. I, I'm like, clearly there's some kind of shortcuts being being taken because from what Mr. Pointer expressed and showcased and how he did it and the people he hired and how he did it, I was like, oh, I need to go into senior project manager mode. Mm. Because at this point now, you have to start looking at your your manuscript in phases. Phase one, I got to start learning who, about different editors now. There, wait, there's different kinds of editors? Mm-hmm. That's how you avoid getting scammed with regard to someone who says they're an all-in-one editor. Hey, there's developmental editing, line editing, copy. You've got to know the difference and what you're looking for and what you need at different stages of the manuscript. When you're, you have to know what stage two is, you have to understand how to find a book cover designer. You have to understand what questions to ask them, how to know and how to communicate your design to them. Then you have to give them the freedom to go while also like being on top of them and making sure they're handing your, their deliverables over to you in time. So you are really in project manager mode when you're hiring and contracting all of these different people, be it book cover designers, manuscript formatters, um, someone who's going to write your your back cover blurb, someone's going to assist you with the promotion and the marketing. Like there are a lot of admin tasks that have to be done behind the scenes. You're not just posting your book on Amazon and then like moving along. There is a lot that has to be done, and so. I kind of realized when I was about to like try and self-publish my first book, I was like, oh, this is a whole business. Mm-hmm. And then that was when I kind of merged the two ideas. And I was like, well, you know, it seems like more traditional publishers need to exist. I can accept that I'm not one of the big boys. I'm not. But maybe that's an advantage because I can be closer to the ground level and making sure that those authors that need to be heard, those gems that would normally be lost or unheard Mm -hmm. we can make sure that we give them a springing board and that the world hears them and while I can't say we're going to change the world I really believe that as small indie publishers we're going to be the innovators that start a new movement yeah and are going to like change and kind of shift we're going to bring art back into this that kind of fights the capitalism side of it that's a whole nother conversation, Christopher, but mm. I believe that we, it, we small publishers are the ones that are like finding those gritty, real writers who like the big guys maybe don't want to touch yet because they're like, hey, you haven't proven yourself. Okay, fine. But by the time you get to those big guys, we're going to teach you what your contract should be looking at. And this is what I think we traditional small publishers, indie or otherwise, need to start taking responsibility for letting these smaller authors know listen we'll be the springboard for you to get to the big guys but we want you to get your worth when you get to them mm-hmm. we're gonna we're not helping you build this author platform for nothing when you get to them we want you to understand contracts mm-hmm. we want you to understand royalties we want you to understand you can talk back to them and you can you can negotiate on your behalf this is what what you should be expecting from an agent this is what you should be expecting from we shouldn't be afraid to have these conversations with them, but well, one, I feel I, like I veered off. I'm so sorry. Chris. No, you're, you're good. Well, because like, <laughs> you mentioned contracts and I do want to ask about that because when you're starting out, you, you don't have things like contracts. So how did you figure out, you know, did you hire a lawyer and then they created a contract from scratch or how, how did you get, how did you create your author contracts? So this is two tiered because I did not start off by publishing my own book. I didn't. I I got all of the knowledge that you needed as a self-published author, and I've understood who I needed to hire. And at that point, I decided to become a traditional publisher. But the only author that was willing to take a chance on me was my mother. So that was when I said, well, things are a little different now. But she said, "I'm Tamara, you, I'll be your guinea pig. Whatever you need to learn with regard to the contracts and the royalties and the... I'll be your guinea kid, guinea pig. Just make sure you pay me. And she was very serious about that. Make sure you pay me. <laughs> um, she gave her, uh, her royalties are 0.01% and a free meal once a month. <laughs> she's just like, no, just make sure, you know, I don't, I, at the, at the very least, she wanted me to get the practice yeah. on how to do it. 
So I had to figure out what reprint rights were. I had to figure out, okay, because she'd already published her first book. So this was done by a vanity publisher. And I decided, all right, Tavo is going to pick this book up. We're going to repurpose it. We're going to redo it. We're going to do it right. And I'm going to start it from the very beginning, starting with her adding new content to it. All right. And from there, I realized I have no idea what's going on with contracts. (laughs) I started off doing what everyone did. I tried to Google. I looked up like sample publishing contracts and I would read through them because I wanted to at least understand from an author's point of view, because keep in mind, I'm still an author. At the end of the day, I'm still a writer. I wanted to understand what are what are authors actually doing? Because I didn't I never felt like we should be giving up rights. Like what what exactly is happening with the exchange of, of intellectual property? So I wanted to understand that. Okay. We don't buy their rights. We are being granted an exclusive license for a set amount of time. All right, I understand that. Then it became, well, what type of rights and how long are you holding them for? And I realized there is not enough Googling in the world for that. So I started looking for books because I'm not a lawyer and I couldn't afford an attorney. But here's where part two comes into play. So I found this really great book. It's called The Permission Seeker's Guide Through the Legal Jungle. And one thing I do want to always advise, and this is what I learned from a long time ago from selling Cutco knives, Christopher. When it comes to advice, you one, look at the source, and two, you see how much knowledge and experience the person has on that particular topic or subject. So those are always the two criteria I weigh when taking advice. So this particular book, I wanted to know, is this someone who practices IP law? Like, I don't want you to just be any attorney. So this person happened to practice IP law and explain this is what's allowed and what's not. Well, that also wasn't good enough for me, Chris. So for anyone listening, here is where the power of networking comes into play. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know what type of exchange you'll have with them. And you never know when that will come back as a blessing for you. And in my particular case, years ago, when I first started this company, I was in California. I happened to meet an attorney who understood contract law and intellectual property law. She asked me, Tamara, please do not ever mention my name because I charge my clients a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Got it. She was willing to tell me, hey, Tamara, this part you might want to look over again. This part you might want to check again. And because she owed me a favor, she's like, hey, Tamara, send me a couple of your books. I'll even like look through them, highlight the stuff that's, going to potentially get you sued but it's because she owed me kind of a favor it was her thing of saying hey Tamara this was my gimme to you I can't promise I'm going to get it to you in a month six months a year but I will get it back to you and she kept her word two years later but she kept her word this is the power of networking you never know who's going to be in your circle you never know who is going to say listen I'm willing to help you out in exchange, hey, can I do an interview with you? In exchange, can we maybe work together on a project? Network. Don't just keep your, your network with regard to like publishers, writers, and readers. I mean, all, network all throughout the industry. Accountants, um, lawyers, <laughs> managers, everyone. Everyone you can think of. You never know who whose path you're going to cross and who will help you later. So. I just wanted to leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in terms of then that networking, like, where do you, like, do you, because like IBPA has networking opportunities. Like we have IBPA Publishing University. We have the member roundtables. So where do you put yourself to meet certain types of people? Like, do you say, I need to meet a lawyer and who's going to be in my network? And then do you go to that place or how do you do your networking? So if you look low, trick one, everyone, start locally. Look in your chamber of commerce, look around and meet up. There are always things going on where like business professionals want to meet and have mixers. You have to be willing to look. I, I don't know what area everyone comes from, but some really great places, like I said, to try our meetup. You can try Facebook groups, but also try your, your local chamber of commerce. 
you want to get around other businesses. You want to be around other professionals who are meeting for a common goal, which is to network with other people outside of their industry to see if there is anything that they can exchange and find ways to help each other with regarding future projects. So this is why I'm saying it's great what the IBPA is doing. And what, if for those of you who have a membership, utilize it. That's, this is 4,000 different experiences that you need to be like eating off of. But also make it a point to look around locally and find out what's going around, not just in your city, but in the surrounding cities and get involved in business mixers. Start Googling it. You'll see it. So. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And so kind of along those lines, uh, when we talked before, you mentioned SBA. So that's the U.S. Small Business Administration, right? Yes. So uh, you mentioned that that can be helpful for funding and uh, not enough people are taking advantage of that. Can you just kind of talk about wh what that is and how people might be able to get involved? And uh, uh, the website, by the way, is www.sb. Oh, great. I messed up the uh, <laughs> and the people. I'm like, where do I go? No, nope, that was it. That's all I'm giving you. Okay. That's all it, you get, you guys. Yeah, you're going to look SB. It up. You'll find you'll wind Man. up in San Bernardino. <laughs> yeah, you might be able to network there. Might be good people. Uh, it's sba.gov. Okay. All right. So tell us about how they can help with funding. So I'm going to tell, admit a mistake, mistake to you all that I do not want anyone else to make. And a lot of women especially will believe like, oh, when you say minorities or people of color, you're only talking about a certain type of people. No, minorities, they're talking about people with disabilities, religion. But the SBI, SBA has programs. And years ago, when I first started table publishing, I went to a great workshop in California regarding their 8A program, which is a certification program specifically for like businesses, small businesses that are run for by like minorities and women. And I never, this is 15 years ago, Chris, that I was not utilizing any of this information. And one of the things I took from that workshop is her specifically saying, the reason we hold these is because not enough of you all apply. We give these workshops constantly, but there are not enough of you applying. And it's because many of you think I'm not going to get it. Or you're afraid to ask for help on how to get through the process. And so as an indie publisher, I'm going to tell you, banks don't want to give you a loan <laughs> because they know about the publishing industry. <laughs> they do not want to give you the loans. But if you are like a small publisher that, you know, publishes like LGBTQ things, that publishes things regarding like special needs and disabilities, that publishes things with regard to like community building. And you know that you have like publishing services that can assist the community regarding like literacy programs, things like that. Start looking into the SBA and the pro and the smaller programs that they contract and network with that they use as lia liaisons to speak to us. And help us through the process so that we can apply and get certified and get the funding and understand the verbiage that they want from us. Because oftentimes it's not that we're not good enough or that we don't deserve it or that we don't qualify. We're just not speaking their language. All right. If I've got to learn your language, then I'll learn it. But 2024, it's she made it very clear, like, listen, more these programs are there for you all for a reason. And the fact that so many of you are not applying breaks my heart and I was like and here I am 15 years later as a hypocrite see you guys don't be like me no everyone or at least be like, like me you. in 2024 because in 2024 I'm going for all of it oh, <laughs> we're in winter right. mode yeah. <laughs> um well I love that and I agree that I think because I remember like in college I went to the scholarship office and and they were like, you'd be surprised how many scholarships just don't get given out every year. And I was like, what? So uh, it's just because, yeah, people don't, you know, take the time. I don't know about them. So thank you for that resource. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, when it comes to money, I know that's something that publishers have a lot of trouble with in terms of keeping track of royalties, um, you know, keeping track of their expenses, accounting. So uh, what have you done in terms of uh, helping with your keeping track of your accounting? Like, do you use any specific programs? 
Uh, and we're thinking in terms of like, you know, people that kind of have lower budgets. So I am going to let you all know flat out. So that way you don't think that I am like rolling in dough. My company can be likened to the architecture, music, and art of the 17th and 18th century in Europe. Baroque. <laughs> if you get it, you get it. And we're going to leave it at that. <laughs> we use, um, at first, I was using like an actual accounting program to help. It was like 25 bucks a month. And I was thinking, oh, that's not a big deal. But then I realized I didn't need it. Sometimes as a publish, as a small business in general, you have to be honest with yourself and say, it's okay that I'm still at the level up portion of my business. I'm not at that point where I need to pay this amount. What I am at the point of is I need to discipline myself to know how to keep track of this stuff. And I just started, I went online for free and I downloaded spreadsheets that showed me how to keep track of things like monthly expenses, cost of goods sold, yearly trackers. And the real challenge was that one day that I set aside per month where I have to do this, because it's only one day of the month, you guys, but that eight hours is the longest eight hours of my life. I want you to know that. <laughs> but it has given me the discipline to know that when we do get to that level up point and I do hire on an accountant and we do have that software, I'm going to know how to use it and I'm going to know what it's for. I'm going to actually be able to utilize it so that it's to my benefit and that it's not like a waste because ultimately I had it for a year and it was just a waste of money because I didn't have payroll. I didn't have enough money coming in to justify having that when in reality I could have just sat down and taken control of it myself which is what most of us small business owners are going to have to do in the beginning. It's okay. And when you do that and you master it, it becomes that much easier to hand it off to the accountant and give them the instructions they need because you've been doing it. So you can now set them on the path on how they need to do it. Here's how, here's how I expect it to be done. So even with the uh, like royalties and such, because you know there's some really great programs out there, but you're, you're right, they can be quite costly. So with like the royalties, uh, you that's something you just do. Like you, you don't you don't have like an accountant who comes in and then does there that. There is month. you can literally, and this is why I love 2023. While Back to the Future didn't get it all the way right, they still owe us flying cars. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that I could go in years ago and I could Google royalty spreadsheet <laughs> or spread uh, royalty tracker spreadsheet. And could come up with pages and pages of people who were willing to share that knowledge that they already have. We are in an age, people, where everyone else, this beautiful world of 8 billion people, are willing to share what they know with someone else. You just have to be willing to go and get it and find it. Be, I always recommend books. But you can start with Google. Google should lead you to a book. That's my belief. Google should always lead you to a book. But my point is, when I needed those spreadsheets, they were there to download. Then I had to go into, I started going to the library and looking up accounting books and reading about what I needed to do with it. And then I was able to tailor the spreadsheets to what I needed, as opposed to just, you know, dealing with a, a spreadsheet that I just downloaded and am going for it. But you got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. If you keep mm -hmm. giving yourself excuses and saying, well, I don't have this and I don't have that, you'll never start and you'll never grow. So um, we're talking about costs and I do want to make sure we get to printing because I know that can be something that can be very difficult. Um, so are you still doing print on demand or do you do uh, like printing overseas or how do you, how do you handle the printing of your books? We do print on demand. And I will say that in the 15 years that I've been in publishing, it has come a long way, you guys. And I don't want to show my age with this answer, but honestly, print on demand has come a long way. It was actually the reason we went into digital publishing first, because I am a total tree hugger. And mm -hmm. at Tavo, we are all about like 
saving the environment. We love the earth. So if we can get away with like not having books sitting in a warehouse, we will. But we start off with everything we do with ebooks. Marketing, promotion, building the author platform, it's all with ebooks first. Hmm. And so with print on demand, I can admit like it has been a blessing in disguise because it has saved us from having to worry about oh we've got a warehouse of like a thousand books and what are we going to do with it? Well, we've got to find some room in the garage. So I personally am a proponent of print on demand. I'm a huge cheerleader of it. Like I said, back when it first started, yeah, but it has truly come a long way to the point where I, I cheer it and tell authors that should be your first route. If you are going to do print books, I would look into the print on demand route only because you're getting the print books printed as the orders are coming in. Mm -hmm. Your marketing and, and promotion efforts are paying off right then and there. As opposed to you're taking that gamble of uh, I printed 500. I did a print run of 500 or a thousand, but am I even going to move 200? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you think you're saving money by printing so many at once, but then right. if you don't sell them, then you're like, oh. Um, and that's okay. how they get you, right? Well, I mean, it's not a gotcha. I don't want you to <laughs> think that. It sounds like my grandfather with you, with the bread. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Mm -hmm. um, but no, when for new authors coming in and new self-publishers and even new indie publishers, you get the print quote and you'll think, man, that is a high cost. And then they'll show you, well, if you print 500 more, look at how much it goes down. Mm. But even better, wait, there's more. Mm -hmm. If you print this much more, look at how much you are at this point. You're paying $2 per book and you only have to print 1500 mm -hmm. And it's like you're thinking in terms of, you know, cost of goods sold. And you're like, all right, well, maybe I should take this deal where I'm going to get the lowest per unit cost with this huge inventory and I tell new new authors don't if you are faced with that choice go print on demand first <laughs> there are some great companies out there Ingram Spark especially is a good one in my opinion but I I don't recommend dealing with the nightmare of figuring out how you're going to warehouse so many books because they take up a lot of space mm-hmm mm -hmm. Well, speaking of that, then you talked about, I want to talk about formats that you publish your books in. So you do an ebook, a print book. Now you, you're saying you do not, um, publish both of them at the same time, the, the printed ebook. That's very interesting. Okay. So each business they have to do, I'm not in your business. You have to run your business as best for you, what keeps your doors open. But in our case, what we found and what I found 15 years ago, because I had the knowledge of how to create an EPUB file, I was like, I can use this to my advantage. I can also help my community by teaching this to them. Mm -hmm. So because I knew how to do that, I realized, wait a minute, I just brought our production costs to almost nothing. Not, I'm, I'm saying almost because you still have to pay for your book cover design. I don't design book covers. Um, I would not wish that on my worst enemy. Like, no, <laughs> please hire a professional, you guys. Seriously. Mm -hmm. um, but there were just certain things that I knew, okay, we need to build this company and we need to get our revenue stream up. And while we're still getting a foothold in the marketplace and still letting people know who we are, which is okay, you guys, remember, marathon, not a race. This was a situation where I found that actually doing digital publishing would be cheaper than print publishing. It was easier to send out review copies. It was easy, especially in this day and age, like Gen Z is like, I didn't, like, I thought we were the electronic age, Christopher, but no, mm -hmm. like they, a lot of the times for review requests, they're like, no, I want it now. Can you, do you don't you have an ebook available? Don't you have a digital copy available? Mm -hmm. So um, I've found that it was, it was less expensive, but it's also a great way to test the market, mm -hmm. not just sending out review copies, but those who are 
maybe getting it on Kobo, those who are getting it on Nook, those who are getting it in other venues other than Amazon, you find yourself in a position where it's like, okay, I can bring in some sales that we can then use to convert into the print version because print books aren't free. They're, they're not going to give them to you for free, guys. You got to pay for your, your author-proof coffees every time. Mm-hmm. And so we found that the revenue that was generated from the eBooks after we paid out the author, their royalties, what was left over, we're like, oh, we can put that into print production now. Let's bring the designer back in, tell them to do the back cover and the spine and all of that. Great. How, how is there like a certain time frame that you always do where it's like two months after the ebook comes out? Like, how do you determine that? So I don't go based off of time. I go based off of amount of sales mm-hmm. and every author, because when you calculate your cost of goods sold, and this is why I can't stress enough with every project you do, you have to have a budget. You have to know how much you can spend and how much you are spending and have a revenue goal. Like, this is how much money we'd like to bring in, whether you make that goal or not. But if you don't start off at least there, you're already failing yourself. So that being said, I give each author a a book goal. Before we go over to print, we have to move 500 copies of the ebook. Mm. If I I can't move 500 copies between Amazon, Kobo, um, our website, Nook, all of these different online platforms, if we can't move 500 copies, whether it takes us two months, a year, or 10 years, if we mm-hmm. can't move 500 copies, we're not even thinking about print. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep figuring out the promotion and marketing e- efforts and figure out what is that sweet spot we need to touch on. Because until then, I just feel like, and maybe this is what I mean when I say we indie publishers, we're going to be innovators in the sense that the big guys are going to start kind of copying what we do. but when it comes to the marketing and promotion, we don't have the money to just flush away with random marketing. Mm -hmm. We have to know what works and what doesn't work. And with eBooks, because the production cost is so low, we have that space within the 500 units to start A-B testing and figuring out, okay, who who is really our target market? We thought it was this. We thought it looked like this. But as we the sales and reviews are coming in, now we're seeing the target market kind of looks like this. I feel like as publishers, we don't have to do what the big guys do. They have the money to kind of flush and throw away and do things the way they've been doing it. We have to be a little more clever. We have to look very closely at the data that's coming in. And we have to use it to our advantage. And so in this case, that's why it's always, nope, we've got to hit that 500 copies. And if, do you do audiobooks? We do. Here's the thing. That is part of the, that's like added budget costs. Does that make sense? Because you can't do everything in-house. And this is what I mean when I tell people, don't listen to the, the gurus out there. You cannot do everything yourself. You think that you can just put on a headset and read your book? You cannot. These people are professionals. There is an art to uh, to creating audiobooks. Do not believe the. the this would be the perfect spot where YouTube's going to put in probably a commercial for Audible. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're good, but despite the commercials that you see, there's an art to this, and they are professionals, and they have worked on their craft. So you have to pay them, and you will have to pay them accordingly. And so we do do audiobooks, but now we have to factor that into the budget after the ebooks. So mm-hmm. now it's, and this is what I say with the publishing industry constantly changing, you have to be able to be willing to, to stay up to date and innovate. Mm-hmm. So now it's, if we can do 250 ebooks, we're going to use those profits to try and hire an audiobook person. We should already have something in place where we've got a cover. We should already have the synopsis. We should already have all of the admin things in place. But with this kind of lump sum that we've gotten from the 250 copies, 
Now we can redistribute that into audiobook. Before it would be, we're redistributing it into print. Mm-hmm. But you have to be willing to innovate and mm-hmm. understand where the, that there's a market there. And that's an opportunity for more funds and revenue to come in that you really, really need as a small independent publisher. Because at the end of the day, we're doing this to sell. We are trying to sell books. There's nothing wrong with this. What we're doing is a very beautiful, elegant dance between art and capitalism. And we're trying to make sure that a good amount of art can push back against capitalism. Mm -hmm. And so that being said, we are trying to sell books and you need to know where the sales are coming from. And that means listening to the readers. Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years ago, readers only had one choice. And this is why the book market looked the way it did. Mm -hmm. But now you have readers saying, well, it wasn't that I hated books. I just hated having to open up a book. But now Mm -hmm. I have a book that'll read to me. Now you've just opened it up to a whole new market of people who normally would not be reading. Mm-hmm. Same with ebooks. Some people are like, I just don't want to pick up a book or I just don't want to like carry a bunch of books around. Mm-hmm. You've just, by giving them other options, you open up the market. Mm-hmm. So by us being willing to innovate and say, hey, we're open for audiobooks. Now let's just readjust how we're going to redistribute the funds. What's the sales goal for audiobooks? Yeah, that's how- great. I love I love the uh, that uh, the whole innovation of it. Um, IBPA does have some like we were talking about. It can be a little costly to do an audiobook, even though they're really popular. Um, that upfront cost uh, can be a lot. So there's uh, Voiceover Vermont and then Audivita Studios are two companies that give our members discounts. Um, okay, so uh, before we end, um, uh, oh, I want to. No, I know don't this is fun. Me. No, okay, through my hours. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> So uh, I want to talk about the Innovative Voices program because you you said you were selected and um, we had 80 applications of really amazing, uh, you know, publishers are doing great books. Um, so this IBPA program supports um, publishers from marginalized communities who publish books that are important to marginalized communities. And uh, you're just doing such stellar work. I mean, you you really stood out. We only had spots for five and and so i wanted to talk about can you tell us what types of books that you publish and then i am interested in um you know what challenges that you might have faced specifically based on the types of books you publish in terms of um any barriers that you might have been hit with but you know maybe hopefully you've been able to overcome them oh well first and foremost um thank you to the ibpa as well as um ingram sparks for sponsoring this program. I I think it's amazing. It is not easy being a traditional publisher, especially one that is a woman of color and in a marginalized community. Funding is just not there. The support, the help, the infrastructure is not there. And you still are looking at it like that's not an excuse to not do anything. That's not an excuse to not exist. So The fact that I was able to, as a small, again, skeleton crew, guys, and I say this to the people who applied and are maybe perhaps thinking, I'm not going to apply again. I'm going to Mm -hmm. tell you, don't think that way. Applications are still open. They are still like, get yours back in because us five, we will not be selected again Mm -hmm. ever. So the pool is open for brand new innovators every year. And I can't stress enough like what an advantage and all of the things that come with it this entire year that I'm actually looking forward to being able to do because we are just a small traditional publishing company in the Hampton Roads area. And I was just, I'm, I'm just thinking all I can do is communicate to them my ambitions, Mm -hmm. what we want to do and what we're going to do with the skeleton crew. I can only let them know about the open mic nights and the live reads and the community advo- outreach and advocacy that we that we that we've started doing. I this is all I can do. And to the other small publishers, to the other indie publishers, this is why I implore you to continue to let the IBPA know what you're doing, because this is a great program, mm-hmm. and each each and every person out there that's innovating, including the other four that that won with me we are the ones who are going to shake the tables mm-hmm. and make the make the big boys look at us and go oh wait a minute 
maybe we do need to change how we're doing things. Okay. With regard to our our publishing, I am very big. Uh, I'm a big advocate of domestic violence awareness. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that about me. So my mom's first books, because I, I chose to publish those because I was like, they have a really good message. And I was like, this is a great joining of like all of these goals and visions and missions that I have in my mind where I can raise domestic violence awareness. I can get my practice as a traditional publisher. I can also help solve some problems regarding like local publishers that want to get published by a traditional publisher. I'm like, let's have this nexus of ideas. And so I was proud that it went from this done by a vanity publisher to this done by us. And so I, I, I am very, very big with regard to like having a movement for domestic violence awareness, 365 days a year, as opposed to just October. Mm -hmm. So the next book we're coming out with is called, it's, it's going to be a two part series where we want to do a deeper dive into like the psychological effects of intimate partner violence. I say this as someone who used to be a 911 dispatcher. So I used to take the calls from men, women, everyone. And I realized like this is something that needs to be talked about because it's it's kind of like normalized and brushed off. So those are our next two books, which are anthologies. We've never done an anthology before. And this is the benefit of the Innovative Voices program. We were connected with four other great publishers and one of them thinking ink press shout out to them they have been monumental in this process everything every question i had with regard to hey what are the contracts supposed to look like i mean it's one thing to do it one-on-one with an author but five six authors Mm -hmm. okay well i i I do want to hire on a professional editor how does that work does their name go on the cover it's little things like that that they were able to answer for me and did so, so graciously that I, I cannot stress enough that this, on top of all of the things you already get with the Innovative Voices program, just the fact that we have that camaraderie mm-hmm. was amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, this is the first time where I'm like, we were going to open for submissions in January. Mm-hmm. We're opening in November. Oh, but wow. this is, but it's because we got that support and it was because I had a fellow indie publisher that was small, just like us and said, Tamara, we know your pain. Listen, you don't have to explain anything to us. The same things you were doing at the beginning, we did them too. You don't have to like, literally we're walking in your shoes. And that's one of the things I finally want to say to self-published authors before we go. Every single one of us started as a self-published author. Every single one of us, whether we run an indie traditional publishing house or hybrid, every single one of us started off because we saw the need. We were about to self-publish or we did self-publish. So we know your pain. We know what you go through. This is why I say this. I don't want this to come off like we don't understand what you're going through. We've walked that path of self-publishing and then we put on the publishing cape and we had to step into the fires of publishing and learn the business side of it all and learn how to kind of play with the big boys and realize even though we're playing in this really huge intimidating space when we all come together as a collective us indie publishers we stand as like a huge intimidating body Mm -hmm. and it's it's been amazing It's Mm -hmm. been so beautiful to be a part of the IBPA. I've been in this for three years, you guys. Mm -hmm. And I'm very thankful for the connections I've made and for all of the things I've learned. Yeah, I agree. I, when I started at IBPA, it was that same feeling of being part of a publishing community where everyone's kind of on the same page in terms of, okay, I'm running to this. And at any time I talk to someone um, then sometimes I have advice about how I solve something. And then uh, likewise, same for them there. I'm like, oh, thank you. So it's been really collaborative. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, well, you mentioned about submission. So I do want to mention your website, uh, 
Tavo Publishing. So it's T-A-E-V-O publishing.com. Um, so make sure to check out um, for submissions, but also check out y'all's great books. Um, and uh, so check that out. Um, I'm really appreciative of you sharing uh, your experiences. You know, sometimes uh, I understand like we were talking about the idea of, you know, uh, keeping this facade of success or whatever, but that you're so candid um, is so helpful to other publishers. So I hope this is a help to people listening. Um, and I appreciate you for kind of putting yourself out there and talking about the details of things. Um, I thank you for having me, Christopher. You know, I always enjoy talking to you, but I mainly, I just wanted to peel back some of those layers and demystify some of the things about publishing and just let you guys know, support us indie publishers. How can you support us? By buying our books. At indie publishers, how do we support each other? By talking about each other's books. Mm-hmm. Let's tell mm-hmm. other people about each other's products. And let's I, get this infrastructure really jump-started. Vroom! Well, like and the- if you have, yeah, agree. If you have like a book club, you know, keep in mind that uh, so many of these book clubs, they just have like books from the big five publishers, right? Whatever's on the right. New York Times bestseller. And it's like, why don't you pick specifically a book exactly. that exactly yeah so it's things like that like let's just start finding ways to support each other more um right. and i it's easier than we think but i, I think sometimes i don't know i think sometimes it's it's weird because we're in this world too but we get caught up in whatever's the thing everybody's talking about or something and then you're like well let's make the thing everyone's talking about an indie book so um yeah Okay, so uh, thank you again. And uh, also, we hope that um, if anybody wants to learn more about the member benefits, things we've talked about, like IBPA does have uh, sample contracts, um, go to ibpa-online.org. We also hope you subscribe to this podcast. It's the last Thursday of every month when it drops, and it's on the YouTube channel, but also anywhere you normally download podcasts. Uh, Tamara, thank you so much. Um, I look forward to working with you through the Innovative Voices program, but also through um, all the things you do with IBPA. So uh, appreciate, appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I'm looking forward to 2024, you guys. Let's keep this, keep this momentum going. It's going to be great. It's going to be our year. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs>